Okay, right. So we're thinking today about fruitfulness on the front line. Now, it was, you know, 2014, that's nearly two years ago, that we started to, to kind of learn together uh, as a church community something that, that was, was really, we felt as, as leaders, as elders, as, as leadership team, really important. Uh, and it was crucial, and we found it so helpful uh, that we thought, well, it would be good to, to refresh that, because it was two years ago. You may not think, do you remember that? We did this thing in house groups, and on Sundays we were thinking about making a difference where we are. Life on the front line. And the whole point was to be, be thinking and learning and reflecting and hearing from God's word about how, how we are to kind of make a difference for God, where we are. Not so much when we're just in church on the Sundays, but for the other 95% of our lives, where we are in the week. And house groups looked at that. We, we did this course, Life on the Front Line, in our house groups. And uh, we thought about it on Sundays as, as well. We even had an away day about that. Do you remember that? In the, the Refresh Away Day. Uh, perhaps some of you are thinking, well, I don't remember that because I wasn't here. Well, that's the, another reason why we thought it would be good to, to go back or to move on. Right? To, not, we're not going to go over the same ground. We want to build on it and re, uh, kind of uh, get in touch with it again. Um, Others, well, it was two years, and it's amazing how quickly time flies. Why are we going to do that? Because it's important for our health and our growth as a church community. So this time we're doing something called fruitfulness on the front line. Before it was life on the front line. This is more about, okay, we know, well, we'll find out what, what the front line is and, and the whole concept of, of being, you know, making a difference where we are. Well, actually, how do we make that kind of difference? And we'll be going to be thinking about that in, on Sunday mornings for the next three Sundays. And there will be parallel, not the same as the Sunday mornings, but another parallel uh, kind of set of kind of workshop type learning experiences in our house groups. So some house groups are starting that now. Um, and uh, can I encourage you to, to get involved in a house group if you're not in one at the moment? Uh, there's a couple of new ones. Well, one kind of restarting in September and another new one starting in September. So, if, you know, if you, yeah, they, they, those two groups may well be waiting till then to do the material. So plenty of time to get involved and get, get going with it. Anyway, let's think first of all then about this word fruitful. Now, first words can be very important you're writing a book or a story a short story or or even giving a talk you know you want to craft it so that your first words you know everyone well no lots of people who who've read Jane Austen know the the first sentence of Pride and Prejudice I won't ask any of you to and I can't remember it quite at the moment but it's something about needing to have uh, be married or something not particularly helpful in today's world necessarily but, but you know if you don't if you study that book the first words are very important I rem- or if you do a talk I remember right back Back in 1974, when I was a first-year student at Cardiff University, I went to one of the first Christian Union meetings, and the speaker who came and, and gave the talk, he's a man who actually uh, has been very influential in my life. It's the first time I had ever seen him, heard him say anything. His first words were, if Jesus isn't Lord of your sex life, then he's not Lord of, of anything. And, and that kind of gripped us as students from that first phrase. And, and I think some of you have woken up, haven't you, already? 
first words. And sometimes the first time you meet somebody, you know, some say, I remember the first time I met you, you know, it's either an impression or you said something sometimes. People say to me, oh no, why did I say that? What a thing to say. But, but you know, the first words are very important. Now here's a question. What were the very first words that anyone in the human race heard God saying? Anyone think about that? Yeah, that's something like that. Yeah, here they are. Be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over it. Be fruitful. God's first words. Actually, he he sang it to the human pair. It's in Genesis 1, and it's in verse 28. And he says it to the first pair of human beings. He's actually previously said this to to the whole of creation in about uh, day 3 or 4, earlier up on in Genesis 1 anyway. But now there's much more. He says, I want you to, to be fruitful and to increase, to fill the earth, to rule and to subdue it. And and already he's giving the human race a job to do in kind of relation to him. Now we know it all went tragically wrong, don't we, by Genesis chapter 3. Because the the human couple uh, rebel against God and decide that they'd rather listen to another voice and to, to go their own way. And we remember how they ended up exiled from God. And, and then the way back begins. And Noah is uh, one of the milestones on that journey of the human race back to God. And after the flood in Genesis chapter 9, again, God says, I'm going to renew the covenant with you. I want, I want people to be in a relationship of worship and loyalty and covenant with me, the living God. And these words, be fruitful, come again in Genesis 9 verse 1. And it goes on. As uh, God gets involved in the life of one particular man and his family, his clan, a man called Abraham. We see that in the book of Genesis as well. So in Genesis chapter 17, God gives this kind of covenant to him, this commitment to him. Actually, he changes his name in Genesis 17 from Abraham to Abraham as a sign of the way in which his loyalty, his worship, his commitment, his relationship with God is to be marked. And, and God says, look, you will be the father of many nations. I will make you fruitful. And the story of the Old Testament goes on through. And you know what happens with you know, the children of Israel, uh, the descendants of Abraham end up in, in, in Egypt as slaves. And they get dramatically rescued. And God kind of, kind of introduces himself to them again in the desert and makes them his people in a special kind of way. And again, the whole community of Israel, uh, on a number of occasions, here's one in Deuteronomy 7. God says, that if, you, if you hear what I say, if you're obedient to me, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you. And I can't read the rest on this screen. Can you read it? As he swore to your ancestors, he will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. Fruitfulness again. So here's the point. God is creator wants people to be fruitful. Just as creation, you see that in all of creation, at that level of us being creatures made in God's image with a kind of a job to do, the whole kind of the whole thing is about being fruitful. But there's this other dimension. As God gets to know people, as God kind of introduces himself, as God gets involved in the lives of individuals, their families and a community, 
So there's this other aspect of fruitfulness. His purpose is for that kind of presence of God in their lives to be seen in fruitfulness. And we see that right through the Old Testament. And it's more than just for them. It's meant to overflow to others. It's meant to, know, be, it's meant to be known by all the nations as they get to know the God of Israel through um, Israel's witness in the world. If you want an evidence of that, have a look at Psalm 67. It's only a little psalm. It's on page 581 in the Bibles. Let's have a little bit of um, energy release. Let's say it together, shall we? Psalm 67. See whether you get, get the idea here. Let's really go for it because it's a kind of psalm of praise. Ready? See, say it together. I, was gonna, I nearly said sing it together, but that would be interesting. But anyway, if you want to, you can, but I recommend we agree on the tune first. Anyway, verse 1. May God, let's together, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. See, now that's a, a, a kind of typical Israelite psalm of Old Testament days. The first verse is all about how they've been blessed by God. And what's the point of it? So that it may overflow. And there's this amazing kind of combination of overflowing awareness of God and harvest. See, it's all kind of connected together in that theme. Now when Jesus comes on the scene, he starts to tell people about the kingdom of God. How they can live under God's rule. He shows that by the things he does. He teaches that in the things he says. He presents himself actually as the king uh, who will bring that God's reign and rule into people's lives. That's what he says. And he tells stories about what that kind of living looks like. Stories of how God's rule and reign can be seen in our lives. And those stories and pictures he tells, well, let's have a quick look at a a few of them. Uh, Mark chapter 4. Have a quick look at Mark 4 with me. Um, It's on page, I'll tell you what, on page, uh, someone may get there before me, 1005. Mark 4. I'm not going to read it all, but I just want to point it out, really. You'll see the heading. What's What's this about? The parable of the sower. Jesus starts telling stories. He's telling stories about the kingdom of God. And he tells a story about, about good, a good seed that needs to land in receptive soil. And that when that, soil, uh, when, that soil, uh, when that seed grows in that good soil, it multiplies a hundred times. That's the parable of the sower. Look on down the path. Turn the page. In verse 26, he tells us another story of a growing seed. I love this story, but I've probably not got time to to go into it in much detail. But it's a story about how a man scatters seed on the ground night and day. doesn't matter whether he's asleep or gets up. The seed sprouts. It grows by itself. and, uh, And then harvest comes. 
planting seed. And then the next one, the parable of the mustard seed, is about how the tiniest, the kingdom of God, he says, it's like planting the tiniest, tiniest, we say with Bethany, a teeny tiny seed, the smallest of all planted, and then it grows to become a great shrub. And then look at verse 33. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. So these stories, these pictures of fruitfulness, God's rule um, uh, being shown by fruitfulness. Well, we know what happens. Jesus dies. He's crucified. He's raised from the dead. He dies to rescue us, as we will be celebrating later. And then he tells his disciples at the end of Matthew 28 to to go out and as they go, make disciples. And he tells them that he's going to work through them. And in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, tells us all about how that happened. What happened next. And the New Testament letters are all written in the same context of the book of Acts. About in the 10, 20, 30, 40 years after Jesus uh, uh, was ascended back to heaven. And the, the ongoing account of what he does, because he's alive, at work by his spirit in people. And through the book of Acts, you get some interesting statements about how this is happening. Here's a few of them. In Acts 6, it says, The word of God spread. The number of disciples increased rapidly. Acts 6, verse 7. Look at Acts 12, verse 24. The word of God uh, continued to spread and flourish. We could look at Acts 9, verse 3. It talks about the church living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit increased in numbers. There's another one in Acts which I didn't put on in Acts 19. In this way, the, the word of the Lord spread widely, it says, and grew in power. And then in Colossians, as Paul talks about the Colossians' experience of of hearing the gospel, he says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. See, this fruitfulness idea, right from creation, right on through. So what's the point? Why have I shared all that with you? Well, this is the point. Just as God's creation works towards growing, multiplying, and fruitfulness, in the same way, surely all of that is saying that God is committed to the kingdom working like that too. I mean, just think about it. We can see God's overwhelming generosity, don't we, in, in the natural world. Watch any of these. I'm going to say BBC programs, David Attenborough stuff, but you can see it on Discovery as well, I'm sure, those other channels. All this stuff we can see in glorious HD is this picture of multiplication, of abundance, of fruitfulness. The whole creation, uh, the whole universe, it seems, is even, even, I think it's expanding. It was expanding. Well, I don't know. I'm not an uh, astrophysicist, whatever it is. But anyway, this sense of the, across the whole of creation, there is this, this commitment to growth and fruitfulness. Well, the point is that God's committed to that kind of movement through the kingdom of God as well. That's what God wants. That's his purpose. That's his plan. That's what he's working to. He has that kind of passion and power for his kingdom. Here's the question then again. Do you suffer sometimes from low expectations? 
I do, I confess it. People who work with me will tell you that. I can pour a glass of cold water on a great Sunday in, in a nanosecond. And sometimes my expectations are just too low. You know, no, it can't happen here, can it? Surely not. No, uh, you know, I, I, you know, when people, I, yeah, what's God done in my life? I don't know. I don't think God's done anything in my life. I'm not sure. I think it's a bit presumptuous of me to think that God will do anything in my life, I sometimes think. We might live the kingdom, we might share the gospel, but nothing's going to happen, is it, really? Unless we get lucky, you know, unless there's a revival breaks out, and then, then it'll be so clear you can't miss it. Do we suffer from those kind of low expectations? Well, that's like the farmer, you know, like a farmer who, you know, sows a whole seed or his heart, you know, he, he sows a whole seed of, you know, uh, wheat or, or oilseed rape or barley or whatever it is. All those, you know, he spent hours he's sowing them and thinking, well, I've sown it. Well, I suppose I just, well, I don't know, probably nothing will come up. But if it does, that'll be good. Do you see what I mean? Because, because, you know, he, of course he doesn't do that because he's, he's doing, he's sown, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow. And I think sometimes, you know, we can be like the, the farmers, oh, well, I don't know, well, I'll do it, I'll be obedient because I've got to be a farmer, I, but, I, you know, I don't expect anything to grow there much. We need to watch that, don't we? Now, I know that we're in Western Europe, and I know there are tough situations. I know there are times when it, it's hard to see fruit. And I'm not saying that, you know, trying to be over-triumphalistic. I don't think anyone could accuse me of, of that with my temperament anyway. But, but you know, sometimes we just, just need to realize that, yeah, no, it is hard. It is tough, and there are reasons. But God's passion is still, God's drive, his power is still for growth and for multiplication, and for change, and for development, and to movement towards wholeness, or towards what he wants us to be, whether it's through the gospel uh, as we share it, whether it's in our emotional lives, whether it's the thing we battle with in temptation. Uh, you know, that our expectations can be so low because we think, and when we feel like that, what are we saying? We're, well, we're, we're believing a lie, aren't we? Because the truth is that God wants fruitfulness. And it's a lie when we say, well, I don't know whether he does want fruitfulness for me. Maybe he does or maybe he doesn't. That is a lie. God wants us to be fruitful. Now, it may not be in the way we think. So be careful how you judge it. But, but don't make statements like that stop you or me from thinking there's no chance of real fruitfulness at all. Of course, we don't say that, do we? But we just act like that. And often the way we act is much more powerful than the things we say. We need to raise our faith. We need to put our, what we believe alongside what we know God wants. A kingdom that grows, lives that are fruitful, the word to spread and grow in power. So let's have a mindset for fruitfulness. And not a mindset that expects a desert whether it's in your personal life, our life together, your home group, wherever. Well, that's fruitfulness. So what about this other word that we've got today? I seem to have frozen, Rob, is that? Thanks. What about the front line? We thought about that. The front line is about where and how we see 
that fruitfulness. Now we see how it worked out in the Bible. Remember Jesus in Matthew 28 told the disciples to be witnesses, to make disciples wherever they went as they were going. Jesus actually says in Matthew 28, it's not like saying to them, you know, in the sense of, right, go, you know, so you go um, and specifically do that thing. Um, I'm told by people who know these things that the, the kind of Greek, it suggests that it's as you go, you're going anyway. As you go, as you move, wherever you move through, you need to have this awareness that, that Jesus wants us to make disciples and, to, and that he wants to work with us because he promises that he will be with us. And that's what all of them did in the New Testament. That's what happens in the New Testament. And one example, I know we saw this on the away day, but I think we, it was a couple of years ago nearly now, so it's worth looking. Look at Acts chapter 8, 1 to 4, page 1101. Uh, page 1101. Two uh, questions here. Who were the ones that were being fruitful? And secondly, where were they fruitful? Okay, so as we read it, you can think about those questions. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. In the previous chapter, Stephen, one of the key leaders, had been martyred in Acts chapter 7. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Hmm. So then, who is it who was fruitful? Well, it wasn't just the apostles because the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. It's all the ones, all the rest of the the church community who were scattered, probably thousands of them. It was a big community in Jerusalem by then. So who did it and where were they fruitful? Well, obviously not just in the temple in Jerusalem where they had been before, but where they were, right wherever they went. The whole community not just the leaders, wherever they went, wherever they happened to go as they were scattered. And what do they do? Verse 4, well, it says those being scattered preach the word whenever they went. Now, that preach, the preach is a bit of an unfortunate because we think of preaching is what I'm doing now. But actually, the word here is, it's like saying they, they, they gospelized. It's a, word, it's a verb created from good news. So they good news eyes. So basically what it means is that wherever they went, whether what they said or what they did, the good news kind of leaked out. That was what they, It didn't mean that they went and booked you know, church halls and had missions or even necessarily went down and had special you know, outreach campaigns on the streets or a marquee in the, in the town centre or whatever. No, it's just wherever they went, they good news eyes. It just came, came out. Of course, they had to speak about it. Now, uh, one of them, it goes on to say, Philip did go down and he, you know, he started doing that and loads of people started coming and he did have kind of big revival meetings, but that's another story. But most of them, they just, just went around and they just went and did it. And so for us, we just live this life that God gives us in the place where we are most of the time, in our work, at school, with our neighbors, with our family, in our leisure groups. That's what we call the front line. 
the places where you are most of the time. You're with non-Christians. And we can start looking at our lives in those places with the possibility, with the prayer, with the thought, with the expectation that we might be fruitful there. That's it. It's not very complicated. Now, if you haven't got anywhere like that, you might need to create somewhere. I might have got this problem because, you know, I'm a pastor. I, so I don't work with non-Christians much. Well, I don't, yeah, if you see what I mean, not, not really all the stuff. No offense, dudes, but, you know. But I meet lots of non-Christians in different ways. So I, I, as a result of, of our previous two years ago, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to, I go swimming. I go swimming, uh, and I joined a swimming um, pool kind of gym club. I don't do the gym, but I do go swimming. And I go once or twice a week, and the same old guys are there, old guys like me, you know, every day. And when I go, and, you know, I'm praying that they'll see Jesus in me, and sometimes I haven't had any hugely great conversations, but they're getting to know I'm a Christian, and one of them knows I'm a pastor. I don't know what they say about me at other times, but, but uh, you know, it's, it's a place where I can begin to get to know people. Some of us may just know people who, who regularly cut our hair or do something like that. Others with our neighbours. For us, our, our, the neighbours in our street uh, is another place we, we get to know them. Being fruitful where we are. Now, the, the house group course gives us six different ways, and I'm not going to go through them now, all beginning with them. So do look at that in a house group. So there's six sessions all about one of these different ways we can be fruitful um, and do get to a house group. Now, let's think finally about the way to fruitfulness. And I want us to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 3. Those of you might be thinking, gosh, that was just the introduction. Now, this is the end now, 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, I want to come to this passage last. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Paul's been talking about him. It's on page 1145. I'm sorry, 1145 if you're looking for it. Paul's been talking about himself and another person like him called Apollos, who'd both been involved in starting the church at Corinth, which is where he's writing to. So, and they've all fallen out with each other, and, and that's another story. But verse 5 says, What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. So let's think about the way to fruitfulness. There's three very simple points here. Firstly, there's this... um, big point I've been banging on about uh, for the first quarter of an hour and that is that it is God that makes things grow it's God's purpose for there to be growth and fruitfulness and he's the one who does it he does it through different ways he does it through different people but he is the one who does it and I think that gives us great confidence because it means it's not up to me or up to you and sometimes, you know, you, I tried an experiment five years ago uh, when I went into hospital to have a, a, something taken out of my stomach. And uh, I, I, I've shared about it before, but when I went, I said, Lord, uh, I don't know what you're going to do, um, but I'm with people here in this ward for a few days now. 
I'm not going to try and do any. I'm not, I'm not even going to tell them I'm a pastor unless they ask me. I'm just going to leave it to you. You do what you will do. And I just laid in bed and was, you know, was there. And by the end of the week, I'd had some just astonishing conversations with people that they started. I didn't. I said, because I'm rubbish at starting evangelistic conversations, as you might call them. So I thought, well, I'm going to give up that. As I say, I'm not even going to tell them I'm a pastor. We'll just see what happens. But I prayed and God did something. So God is the one who makes it grow. And that gives us confidence. Because he can do it. He can do it with your great you know, verbalizing gifts or your complete lack of them. If you can't speak well or you don't know what, how to explain it, well, he'll use some other part of what he's given you to, to show people himself. Don't worry about that. God will do it. And that's why we pray. And when we pray, we are asking God to let us in on what he's doing. Just let us, God, what are you going to do? I'm just, you show me. I'm just going to try and walk with you in that. So as I say, at the swimming pool, it can be a long process. I've been doing this two years and haven't had a really great conversation with anyone. And, uh, you know, to get past, all right, you know, onto a bit of a conversation is a bit of a, you know, an improvement or something. So it's a slow old thing. Or maybe I'm just not very good at it. But that doesn't matter because it's up to God to work as he will in that place. Or it could be the opportunity. Someone was sharing with me, they've been working with a colleague for a long time. And just recently, they, they plucked up courage too because they knew there was a crisis in that person's life. They texted, like, yeah, yeah, how's it going with, with your daughter? I'll, I'll pray for you. And the text came back, thank you very much. That really means something to me. Just a little thing that says, the living God is you know, in my life as I work with you and I'm going to pray for you. So, God makes it grace, so we, can, uh, the second, so we expect and ask God to work. Secondly, we do our part. We, got, we, you know, we can't do nothing. Sometimes we have to say something. Other times it's just being there. Other times it's speaking up for something that's right. Other times it's just showing kindness. All the time that God is working, remembering God is at work. And those six M's will give you lots of ideas of different ways. But, but you see... Paul planted, or Apollos, one of them planted and one of them watered. They had to do something as the Lord enabled them. And, you know, we need to be in that place. Say, yeah, Lord, I'll do something, but, you know, help me to know what to do. So we do have to do our part. And finally, it's good to work with others. Paul and Apollos, he talks there of them being fellow workers. And one of the great things, if you're in thinking of the workplace, if there's another believer in your workplace... And work together, you know, meet up and pray occasionally for your fellow colleagues. We've got a, we've got a lovely Christian neighbor called Jasmine. And uh, Mary and, and she uh, meet occasionally, not enough, because we're both really, she's really involved in the Lighthouse Church. And we're pretty busy in, in another church, as you know. But, you know, every now and then, you know, Mary and Jasmine, they meet and they pray for the neighbors. And we, we've done a few little things with them. And it's just a joy. I don't think we'd have got around to doing anything if it wasn't for the fact that you know jasmine calls us and says should we do something or vice versa work with others if you can others can be involved so there we are then god makes it grow we do our part others can be involved but the big starting point let me finish with this is your hope or my hope your desire my desire to be fruitful to long to be fruitful is from God. 
He wants that for you and for me. He wants that in us. Jesus said, I have chosen you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Was that in John 15 or somewhere around there? So don't believe the lies that say, I can't be fruitful. You're insulting God if you say that. Believe the truth. Live life differently. Just act on it. Act on the truth about God. We do that when we come to know Jesus for the first time. We will share it. Jesus has done everything for us. If you don't know him yet, the step to know him is to say, I accept the truth of who he is and what he's done. I accept the truth about my life and how I need to turn from what's wrong and trust him. And then we act upon it. It's the same process right through the Christian life. And if you've not done that yet, then you can today talk to one of the prayer team afterwards. But let's believe the truth and live differently as we uh, are fruitful together for his glory and right where we are. Amen.